We are um, in the last class of our uh, Psalms series. So if you're in the wrong place, sorry, but there's nowhere else to go. Um, So I don't know what next week is. Maybe somebody will send an email or something. I have no idea. I'm not in the know. A marriage thing? Okay. I should read the bulletin. Now Carla's going to get mad at me. Is that in the bulletin? Okay. All right. So good. So make sure to uh, be here for that. I don't have to tell y'all because you're here for this week. So you'll probably be here for next week. Uh, Okay. So. Are we? Boom. Steve, this doesn't want to go. Yep. I'll turn it off and back on. Okay. All right. When... There you go. When you hear or see the word or think about judgment... What pictures come to mind? What scenes come to mind? Courtroom. Yep. That's probably uh, uh, probably the most common thought. A courtroom scenario. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Anybody else? Other other thoughts, images that that come to mind, even if it's not the The first one. We have to use good judgment. Okay. I'm thinking in terms of uh, our, you know, the day of the Lord sort of thing. Um, So, our our judgment on that day won't matter all that much, um, but certainly in this time, it does. Uh, so there's there's the uh, common prayer and phrase, in the hour of our death and at the day of our judgment, um, it is a, it's it's like it's something to be feared, you know. It, it's that's just that's the common. If it is a courtroom then I am on the stand and it's all about me and it's going to be terrible and scary. And Hebrews says, um, uh, all things are laid bare before him, before him who must give account. All right. To him for whom we must give account or something like that. Uh, we think of in Matthew, the sheep and the goats where the sheep are put on the right side, the goats are put on the left side, right? And it seems to not, for the goats, the judgment is not necessarily all of the bad things that they did. What is it? It's what they didn't do, right? Which puts a lot of, of um, I don't know, that's a scary thought to me. You know, what am I missing? What am I not doing? Uh, I think that parable makes it fairly clear, but 
so for us, judgment is something that in 21st century and for the last hundreds of, of years, predominantly is a scary sort of uh, thing, you know? Uh, and so you might think that for the Jews in the Old Testament, it would be somewhat similar, but um, it's, it's not. So, surprise. Uh, judgment in the Old Testament is something that you rejoice about, something that you can't wait for. Um, it's, it, it is what you are longing for. Uh, it's what you desire as as a Jew. You're just you're longing for that courtroom scene. Um, so for a for a Jew, judgment is a court of justice. Okay, uh, to the Christian, judgment is a criminal case. And like I said, we're on the stand, and it's all about, is he going to prison for eternity or not? You know, and weighing the, the good and the bad and, and that sort of thing. I'm not saying that that's how it is or that's even a healthy way to think about it. But predominantly, that's kind of the, the uh, what gets called up in our minds. So to the Jew, this is a civil case, all right? And he's not on the stand, he's the plaintiff. He's the one that is levying the charges against other people, needing something to be corrected. Okay, Um, So the Christian hopes to be uh, acquitted and forgiven of all of the evil things. And the Jew is hoping to be victorious, to gather heavy damages. Um, And so if if we go to... uh, Not that one, but Psalm 35, which I think I have uh, later in this, says, Contend against those who contend against me. Avenge my cause. Okay? And so I want to look at some, um, some psalms together that, um, that go over this. So for the Christian... The courtroom is something of, of fear. Justice is something that we are afraid of. And for the Jew, you're, you're wanting to get into the courtroom, right? You want your case to be heard. You want the judge to be able to, um, to hear your case and, uh, and all of that. So Psalm 9, let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So they're longing for this judgment. It's something to rejoice over. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples With equity, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar, and all that fills it, let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness 
and the peoples in faithfulness. Uh, You have seen, O Lord, be not silent, O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. So, Christians cry to God for mercy instead of justice in the way that we think of those words anyway. Uh, Jews cry to God for justice instead of injustice. Okay, uh, So if you think about the book of Judges, uh, the judges are not really doing much uh, judging, right? Uh, in the sense that we think of the word of, of, of what a judge does in our day and age. They're not going about doing rulings and having hearings. The only, uh, the only time we really get much sense of that is Deborah, when she is under the, the, uh, the tree of Deborah, and people are coming to her because she was seen as somebody with wisdom who could speak for God on, on God's behalf in these uh, difficult cases. Um, but more often, it, it was not a judicial thing. They're more often just rescuing these oppressed Jews from oppressors. David? Yeah, that, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I would say for most, for most of Western Christendom that, uh, that this would be the case. Uh, so thanks, thanks for that uh, clarification. Um, C.S. Lewis said, I think there are very good reasons for regarding the Christian picture of God's judgment as far more profound and far safer for our souls than the Jewish but this does not mean that the Jewish conception must simply be thrown away. Um, so, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we need to necessarily change the way that we think about everything right here, but um, reading through some C.S. Lewis thoughts gave me some, uh, some thoughts as well that I thought were um, worth considering, especially since uh, a lot of these instances come up in the Psalms. And so what C.S. Lewis says is, picture yourself, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be in this courtroom scenario, okay, uh, picture yourself in the Jewish conception, alright, that there, there are charges being made, justice has to be done, okay. Um, but instead of you being the one saying, I need justice, this person did me wrong, this person did me wrong, this person did me wrong, consider 
am I maybe the person who had done wrong against them? Uh, and so C.S. Lewis says that might be a, a healthy way to think about it. Uh, but the psalm writers, they really do not do that much at all. They are, in almost every case, they're the ones who are looking forward to judgment because they've been the one uh, that has been wronged. They want to see those wrongs corrected. There's really only a couple exceptions, but most, um, the majority of these psalms that are asking for judgment are because the the writer, the poet, um, a lot of times speaking on behalf of Israel, they had they feel like they've been done some wrong against, and most of the time had been, and they're just wanting God to come down and just strike somebody down. Okay, um, but almost always the psalmist is the accuser. So there's a, a couple more I want to read through here that I that I didn't get to. Well, let's see. Um, All right. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. So they're looking forward for this true justice. But... Check out what typically happens in a lot of these psalms. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Give The king, your justice, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness, your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people, the hills, and righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Um, One more. You who are feared, who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still when God arose to establish establish judgment, to save all the humble of the earth. Um, So the, the tricky thing is that what often ends up happening is that... Um, It can really lead to a sense of self-righteousness um, that Jesus eventually really rebuked the, the Jews and the Pharisees for. Um, and so we have to kind of talk about the difference between, you know, being right and being righteous. Often, you know, uh, at one time or another, you can be right about some particular thing that doesn't necessarily make you a righteous person. Right? I think we all... Uh, would agree with that. Sometimes the worst person may even be right in a certain situation um, and uh, may be more right than the generally better individual. Uh, but if if Brielle steals a pencil from Brinley, um, I can't just tell Brinley too bad. Um, it's, it's a wash because Brielle's uh, general disposition is better than yours, and so um, she's allowed to take from you what she wants. You know, like, that's, that's not how justice works, right? 
Um, and so let's not assume that the psalmist, and often it's, it's David in a lot of these, um, are lying when they say, I'm in the right. Uh, it may sound weird to us to talk that way, because uh, that, that is not very often a part of our, especially public prayers. I'm in the right. Everything going wrong is happening to me. And God, I need you to, uh, to take care of all of this because I'm perfect and I don't deserve any of this stuff, right? That's, that, it sounds weird to us, but that's kind of how a lot of these Psalms, uh, come across. Um, and so I think a lot of times there's this confusion, a fatal confusion that can happen from being in the right to assuming that, uh, that I'm righteous, um, and so we looked at Psalm 7 a second ago, somewhere. No, I should have written more stuff down. And, um, and that one actually has this, uh, this sort of transition. Verses 3 through 5, he's just saying, you know, I'm, I'm in the right in this situation. But by verse 8, he says, judge according to my righteousness and innocence, which is interesting because in Psalm 143, uh, he's, he's admitting, enter not into judgment with your servant for no one living is righteous before you. Um, and so there's sort of this, at times, the psalmist can trick themselves into believing I am righteous, not just right in this instance. And sometimes that can uh, end up in a very slippery slope. Um, and I think another very fatal confusion is that this desire for justice devolves into a desire for uh, revenge uh, in a lot of, in a lot of Psalms uh, and in, in a lot of uh, um, poetry that, that works itself out in the rest of the Old Testament too. Um, it's not simply a desire for justice, but God give them what they uh, deserve, which often is still justice, but read how it comes across in a lot of, of these Psalms. Um, oh, here's Psalm 7. There you go. Uh, so Psalm 35. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like shaft before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Um, kind of dark. It gets a lot darker. Okay. Um, So, 109, sorry, that's kind of small. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. Um, Remember, an accuser, that's the same word for Satan. Let Satan stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. Check this out. Who says this? 
may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. How about that? This is in the Bible, you know? Um, In Psalms, you know, in one of the more beautiful, like, this is supposed to be... Uh, you know, what draws our heart to be more like God's, this book. And you've got Psalm 109 and several others uh, so much like it. But yeah, who says that? May his, may his children end up beggars in ruins, you know? Uh, <laughs> what do we do with this? Thoughts? Mm-hmm. But God says similar things out of his own mouth. Yeah. He says, you know, the sins of the fathers are you know are paid down Mm -hmm. to generations. Mm -hmm. Which frankly, if we were honest about what happens in life, is really true. Yeah. So he may be speaking of truth more than a curse, if if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. He might be saying, I'm making this happen, this is the consequence of sin. Mm -hmm. Right. But instead, learn about that side of the nature of God and what it is that mm-hmm. what it is that He hates mm-hmm. and what it is that He loves. Yep. Um, because He's always expressing some form of that. The second thing about this psalm is that um, you know, if you read the first and the, and the last part of it, you know, it, it says things about this man. So, so think of the worst person we've ever known in the history of Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, Chappy? Yeah. Yeah, it makes it maybe one degree more palatable uh, if, if you take it from, you know, like David's saying, look at the beginning of the psalm. Uh, somebody who had hounded the poor his entire life, taken food away from uh, from those who are who are hungry. Um, let's uh, let's go a little bit more. One thirty seven. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, "Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations." O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. 
Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be uh, he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Uh, This is probably one of the more famous verses in scripture that we kind of wish wasn't in there. Um, And a lot of, of books and articles have been written to, you know, how do we justify this sort of stuff? Other versions will say, dashes their head against the rocks. This is, I mean, this is graphic sort of stuff. And, um, you know, from a Christian perspective, when, you know, living in this new covenant under Christ, that uh, we don't have any room <laughs> to be taking the babies of our enemies and dashing their heads against the rocks, right? Um, if you can think of, of uh, some exception to that, then I, I, uh, I'd say there might be a problem with how you think of Christ. But um, let's see if I've got any more. Uh, let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continuously. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. So this is, this is sort of in line with what David is saying. He's not saying my anger, though obviously he has anger. Saying, God, if you are angry with them, um, then take action, right? Um, May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him who you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Um, there's there's uh, several others I, I think that we could go on to. Um, Psalm 139, in the middle of that one, uh, God, would you just slay the wicked, right? As if maybe God hadn't thought about that before. And, you know, this individual is saying, hey, God, I've got an idea that will solve everything. Just kill all the bad people. You know, as if, like that had not been a thought maybe that had crossed God's mind before or something, I don't know. Um, Psalm 23, one of the most beautiful uh, psalms arguably and probably a lot of people's favorite, at the end, uh, set a table, God sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies, okay? That God is going to give me all of these good things and all of my enemies have to watch and they can't do anything about it. They just have to sit there and see God blessing me and not blessing them. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about that line that way. Uh, but this is, I mean, this is all over Psalms. This, this sort of, uh, I don't know if you would call it indignation or simply just anger, des- desire for revenge or what. Um, but... I don't think that many of us would say that it's automatically good and righteous to always think this or have these thoughts simply because uh, it's in the Bible, right? I think a lot of injustices have been done because we've done that with 
certain stories and certain scriptures and things like that. Um, but can we maybe agree or assume that these passages uh, aren't for us as Christians to use to, to justify our own desire for revenge um, against people who we might consider our enemies or, or doing things against us. Um, and so, let's see. A- any thoughts? Yeah, Angela, before I keep going. Richard and then Kathy. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing to do to have the face of a person who has done you some immense evil in your own mind and to say, well, that's, that's not them, that's Satan. You know, my battle's not against them, right? Uh, that's, that is, takes a lot of uh, spiritual maturity, I guess. Yeah, Chrissy?
Okay. So one thing that C.S. Lewis suggests when we look at these psalms um, and, you know, when this desire for revenge, I, uh, I guess, comes out and we come across this, that uh, instead of 100% of the time saying, I identify with this oppressed person and I want revenge on all my enemies too, so God, but rather to think about it I mean, the, the place where these people's hearts were, and I think we all agreed and, and said, this is not where somebody's heart should stay permanently, even if you are being oppressed, right? Um, to come at it and say, consider what the injustices that we might do to another person, uh, what that might bring about in that individual that, you know, this hateful, perpetual, hateful sort of attitude um, that Christ in many situations would call sin, um, especially when we dwell on those things and we cannot forgive others um, for the things that they've done to us. You know, consider how, uh, how we might be doing injury to another person. So he says... Uh, in addition to the original injury, I have done him a far worse one. I have introduced into his inner life, at best, a new temptation, at worst, a new besetting sin. If that sin utterly corrupts him, I have, in a sense, debauched or seduced him. I was the tempter. Um, so I think that's uh, at least a valuable insight from C.S. Lewis. Consider. Man, I don't want anybody to have these sort of thoughts um, at all. And yet, are there parts of my life, times in my life, where I have caused somebody to have these sort of thoughts, you know? Um, And uh, so Jesus says, forgive 70 times, seven times. Uh, Sometimes it's not 490 separate Offenses. Sometimes it's one single offense that somebody dredges up in their mind 490 times a day, you know. And I, I don't want to be the cause of, of any of that, right? Um, so, j- simply because this is a natural feeling, I think, for us as human beings, um, uh, to, you know, to have such an intense hatred... Um, I guess, a hatred for injustice. Um, we, we can't simply say, well, the Jews didn't know better. You know, I agree, they didn't have Christ. But they, they did have plenty of examples. Uh, Leviticus 19, uh, don't hate your brother in your heart. Uh, you shall, but you sh- shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge 
against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Uh, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Um, So I will say, while it is, I think, allowed to be vented, like David's saying, um, God doesn't want us to stay there. Right? God wants us to be able to forgive. And that's not just a Christian thing. That's even a Jewish concept, uh, principle. Uh, Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Um, don't pray for his children to become beggars for the rest of your life. Right? Um, uh, let's see. So, oh, it's time to end. Um, so, so we can't just say, well, pagans uh, must have been better people. They weren't nearly as vindictive as, uh, as the Jews were. And C.S. Lewis talks about how he was overhearing a group of soldiers who were reading the uh, British newspaper in World War II. And uh, they had looked at all of these accounts of, um, you know, propaganda accounts is what they believed of the British newspapers and politicians just lying about what the Nazis were doing to um, enrage the British public and, you know, want more people to sign up to be soldiers to go kill some Nazis. Obviously, the things they were doing were very bad, but it doesn't take a lot of research to go and look and, and see, you know, the... The Nazis were also were being dehumanized in uh, in other ways too, um, uh, you know, painting them as as demons and that sort of thing. Anyway, and so uh, what he said was interesting was that these soldiers, upon reading these accounts, uh, instead of saying, "Man, I th- I think it's wrong that our government uh, just wants our." Uh, country to be bloodthirsty and go kill a bunch of Germans, um, you know, they, they had no indignation about that. And, and what C.S. Lewis was saying was they should, they should be indignant about something, right? They shouldn't just let, sweep that under the rug and say, oh, well, that's, that's just how it is. Um, obviously, the government is going to fabricate lies. Um, you know, they had perceived that wrong to be a great evil, um, but, but it, it didn't, it didn't make them mad. You know what I'm saying? And I think that happens in our own lives that we say, man, that's, that's wrong, you know, but it doesn't evoke action in any of us to do something about injustice when we see it on whatever side of the table, uh, we see it on, um, and so what, what C.S. Lewis said, said was, uh, if they perceived that to be a great evil and then forgiven their political leaders, then they would have been saints. But to not even let it register as evil is insensible. Uh, if you can't recognize evil, you may not be, be able to recognize good. Um, so, so anger, which is indignation... Um, may at least be a symptom of an awareness of a justice system, which is a good thing uh, to have, right? So, um, one final takeaway, and and we will end here. 
God looks at sin as, uh, God looks at the sin of the perpetrators as hatefully and spitefully um, as flawed human Jews would look at uh, the perpetrators themselves. Um, when we look at people, you know, we have a face in our mind, this person is my enemy, uh, I, I hate them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Consider, God is looking at sin in that way, saying, sin is my enemy. And that's, you know, what Kathy's saying. We need to have this perspective too of Paul in Ephesians. Our flesh is not against, uh, or our flesh, our battle is not against uh, flesh and blood, right? But, uh, sorry, I ran out of time. So, um, bye. Bye. <laughs>